0: All right, I want to start off asking you a question. What story are you in? What story? Because the story that you think you are in, absolutely, listen to this, don't miss this, the story you think you are in absolutely shapes everything about your life. The story you think, I mean, your lack of happiness, how do you explain it? How do you deal with it? You deal with it by the story that you think you are in. You explain it by the story that you think that you are in. How you handle suffering. How you handle your relationships. It's all about the story that you think that you are in. Success will go to your head. Failure will go to your heart if you are in the wrong story. Everything, everything is shaped by the story that you think that you are in. And I need to tell you this. You, me, we're playing the wrong story all throughout our lives. There's a big sc- like there's this big screen up in the sky and everything you're doing, everything you're thinking, everything you're feeling, you have this story on repeat about what you think is true and it's the wrong story and it is deeply, deeply harming you and it's wreaking havoc on your life. So this story, this Genesis story of creation, it's an alternative story, but it's also the true story. See, what was going on? So we're in our series in Genesis called New Beginnings, and what was going on when Genesis was written is there's all these stories that are going around about how the world came to be, about who God is, about how we are, and and these stories essentially say the world was created and it was created evil in the beginning. There was a big problem in the beginning, and it doesn't look like things are getting any better. And and even today, we have this story that we're playing out of evolution, and that there is no God, and that everything is just kind of evolving. And and here's the thing, if that's true, then we've had billions of years leading up into this point, and this is the best that we've got. So to think that something's going to change in 10 years from now, it's not. What we need is a different story, a new story. And the thing about this story is that it's true. But we're not living like we believe it is. So, here's the story. Genesis 2. So I'm going to be jumping around. Genesis 2, 8 through 9, then verses 16 and 17, then chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and then 22 to 24. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. All right, so here's where we're going to go. One, believing the lie. Two, paradise lost. And then three, the hound of heaven. So, believing the lie... Paradise lost, the hound of heaven. So God creates the world, he creates Adam and Eve, and he creates this garden of Eden. And this word Eden means delight, so the garden of delight. And then he places man and woman inside of this garden of delight, inside this garden of paradise. And we're not we're, we're going to be bouncing around for the next few weeks between Genesis 1, 2, and 3 all over the place because there's just so much here. So right now, just we're going to get to the garden more, but for right now, what you need to know is that the garden of Eden is a paradise. Things were as they should be and God was there with man and everything was as it was meant to be and, and, and we, humanity, knew that God loved us, cared for us, and was good and was watching out for us. It was a true story that we were in and it was a very, very good story. And then here's what happened. An alternative story Began to be whispered into the ears of Eve. And she was deceived by this story. It got deposited into her mind and hearts, and here's what in her mind and heart, and here's what happened. It changed the course of history for them. It changed the course of history for us. And today, today, we are still falling for that same lie. The same deception. Here's what happened. The serpent started to weave together this story. This, there was a good story, and then the serpent started weaving into this story lies and deception. And as that happened, it started messing with Eve's soul, and it's doing the same thing for us today. So, so one, who's the serpent? Well, here, for now, all you need to know is the serpent is the representative of evil. The serpent is Satan. Okay, so just know that. So, the false story, the trickery of the, trickery of the serpent was to do this, take good truths and bend them to look bad. The serpent, start, here's how it, the serpent, oh, so, so crafty, starts off with cynicism. He says, did God actually tell you not to eat, that you can't eat any of the fruit of the tree in the garden? Like with this laughter in his voice, it goes like this, and this, this cynicism, you hear it all of the time. It's, it's very familiar to you. It goes like this. You don't actually believe that, do you? With kind of a laugh and kind of like this put, putting you down. And this is the tactic of Satan. You find it everywhere, everywhere. You see it in politics. So a Republican finds out that they have a friend who's a Democrat or the other way around. And so they say, you don't actually believe that, do you? Or a Christian and an atheist are talking, and the Christian says to the atheist, you don't, you don't actually believe that there isn't a God, do you? Or the atheist says to the Christian, you don't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead, do you? Or, or people among the church who have different theologies, they say, you don't actually believe that, do you? And this, this is, it's actually a very effective way to win someone over to your side without using any logic, any proof, or any reason at all. It's in a way bullying people to believe what you believe without having to provide any proof at all, and it's very effective, and it's happening all around you. And you're probably falling for it. If I say to someone, I believe in the resurrection, they say, wait, you actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And I say, well, yeah, prove to me that he didn't. And the person says, well, I don't even know why we're having this conversation. Why I even have to prove to you that... He, I mean, this is ridiculous conversation in and of itself. This is the push. This is the cynicism that, that Satan is pushing on to Eve. You guys are all sick right now, aren't you? All of you are sick. If you need a cough, go ahead. Everybody do it right now. Okay, that was just for you, Mark. <laughs> Listen, listen, don't miss this now. Come, come, back, come, come back to me, come back to me. This cynicism is the start of Satan convincing Eve that God is not to be trusted. She was standing on a very firm foundation, knowing that God loved her, that God had the best in mind for her, and then all of a sudden, Satan takes her out, takes her knees out. She hits the ground with the cynicism, and while she's down, Satan delivers this one-two punch of two lies. The first lie in verse 4 goes like this. You're not going to die if you eat of the fruit of this tree. The second lie is that if you do eat of the fruit of this tree, you're going to become like God and you're going to know good and evil. This is what that means. You are now going to sit in a throne. You are now going to be the judge of what is good and evil. You are now going to be the one who determines what is right or wrong for yourself. It's, it's, it's saying this. Get out from under the rule of this so-called God because, and here's, here's the lie, here's the deception, because he is not looking out for your good. He doesn't want you as an equal to him. He doesn't want you taking a throne because then you become a competitor to him. It's a twisting of the truth. The serpent's saying, you shouldn't trust God. He doesn't want what's best for you. He doesn't want you to be happy. So take his throne. Make it yours. He is chaining you. You have lost your freedom under his rule. Unchain yourself and go take the throne. That is the story that's being very carefully whispered into your ear right now even. Sinclair Ferguson, uh, a scholar of the faith, he says, here's what the lie looks like. He says, imagine that there's a father, and the father takes his son to a toy store. It's a little kid. Takes his toy, son to the toy store, and the father says to the son, look at all your favorite toys. Tell me what all of your favorite toys are that are here. And so the son shows all the father all of his favorite toys, and then the father says, good. I wanted you to see everything that you wanted and think that you were going to get it, but you're not. I wanted you to know what you're missing out on. And, and here's what he's saying. He's saying that the lie is to convince you that you are that son and God is that father. The lie is to say that God is holding out on you. He can give you the good life, but he's not going to do it. Get out from under his rule and you go get the good life yourself. Think about this. Why are you working so hard? Saving up as much money as you can to have this comfortable life. Chasing it and chasing it. Saving all of the money you can so you can buy this house or you can do this or so you can do that. It's to get this comfortable life. But why are you doing it? Because you don't really trust that God has a good life planned out for you. Why are you so desperately trying to get control of your life? Because you don't, you don't trust God and trust his judgment of what a good life is for you? Why are you seeking power? Because you want to get out from under God's power because you don't trust him. Why are you so desperately wanting approval from people around you? Because you don't really think that God likes you. Because if you did, wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't it be enough if the cosmically glorious God had all the delight and approval that you could imagine for you? Wouldn't that just be enough? The sin is to fall for the lie. The sin is to think that God is holding out on you. The essence of sin is to take God's job. It's to take his throne because you don't trust him. The root of sin, Mark, we can just give up on the slides. I got it. I can take them along. Okay, the root of sin is to not trust that God loves you and is caring for you. Not believing that he knows what is best for you. So what do you got to do? You got to take that throne because you know for you better than what God knows for you. You're stealing God from yourself when you do this. It's like, and I know this isn't a good metaphor, but I'm gonna use it anyways. It's like God is in your pocket and you're pickpocketing God from yourself. You're losing him. You're stealing him from yourself. And let me tell you what this does. So this lack of trust in God that you have, it puts you in freak out mode. You're scared that you aren't gonna get the good life. Come on. You are. You're freaking out about it. You know that feeling like you buy something, like there's a salesman and and he's convinced you to buy something and then you buy it and then you're like, oh wait, did I just get tricked? I think I might have gotten tricked. I think I might have just gotten ripped off. We do that with God. We think he's tricked us into buying something. And here's what happens. When that happens to you, here's what you do your nervous system goes into emergency mode and you become terrified. And what do you do? You, you become incredibly self-centered because you have to, because you're just trying to survive now. You're terrified of what's going to happen because you don't think that God loves you and is caring for you and you don't think that you can trust him. Martin Luther says that the human, na- the hu- human nature is curved in on itself. Human nature is curved in on itself, meaning you use anything and everything around you for your sake, even God. And it would make sense because you're in emergency mode. You're trying to survive. Your nervous system is screaming at you because you can't get in control And God is, and he's not to be trusted, so we got to do something about this. I'm going to say something that at first doesn't make sense, but it will begin to make sense. The most self-centered people that I know are people who are very religious. Let me show you what I mean by that. They appear godly, but they really care nothing for God. This is a certain type of religious people. I'm not, and of course, this is not you, of course. So let me tell you what I mean, let's let's take prayer. So we pray to God, and we're not trusting that God's gonna give us the good life, and so what do we do? We bargain with God in our prayers. God, give me this, because we don't trust him. And it's like we're cornering God with our prayers. God, give me, give me this. And here's what we end up doing. We we make ourselves king and we use God as the servant. Listen, we make ourselves king and we use God as the servant who can give us what we want. Did you hear that? We make ourselves king and we use God. In our prayers, we use God as the servant who can get us what we want. Or, Or people go on and they're following the rules and they're obeying God, but why are they doing it? Is it because they love God and because they trust him? Or so that God will owe them something? Are they trying to hang something over God's head to say, God, look at this, I've followed all the rules, I've done everything that you told me to do, now give me what I want. It's a way to say, God, you aren't king, I'm king, and the way that I remain king is by staying in control. By obeying the rules. Do you see what just happened? You're holding a throne and you're obeying the rules so that you can get what you want. And now again, God has become your servant. It's to say, God, I'm king and obedience is the tool that keeps me king. Going to church, not because you love God, because you're checking off something on the list that keeps you in control. To make, to make it so that you can say to God, God, you owe me. Don't forget about what I've been doing for you, God, because if you do, I'm going to lose my mind because I've been working so hard for you so that why you'll give me what is owed to me. I'm trying to put God in your debt so that you can cash in. It's like treating God like a cashier. You go to God and here's all of your good works. And you're saying, God, here's my good works. Here's all the things. This is like my cash, my good works. And now I'm going to buy all of this stuff from you. I want this, and I want this, and I want this. It's just using God like a cashier, using your good works. Like I, you don't trust God, but you know what you want, so you're going to be good. You're going to do the things that you need to do so that you can get in control of your life, so you can get, be the king, and so you can get what you want. I'm not saying you guys only. I mean, this is what I do. This is what all of us are doing. It's a religion that says, I'll go to God as long as he's useful to me. Um, I was in Nashville recently for a conference, and um, my Uber driver from the airport, um, we got in a conversation. I was telling him about the church. I was telling him about our skeptics-only Bible study, and he's like, oh, man, I wish there was something like that around here. And I said, well, what's your hang-up with God? And he said, well, I ask him for things, but he never gives them to me. I want something. In my, essentially he's saying, I want something in my life, and God is not giving it to me. And I'm asking him, and it's not working. So you know what? I'm just taking it into my own hands, and I'm going to take control of my life. And it's up to me, so I'm going to work hard to get what I want. This is the same lie that was in the garden. It's the same lie. And we're falling for it over and over and over again. And some of you might be saying right now, oh man, I've been coming to church for all the wrong reasons. What do I do now? Do I stop coming? Do I keep coming? I don't know what to do. Listen, everything's okay. It's okay. Because God is loving, he's gracious, and he already knows what you're doing. And here's what he's saying to you right now. Come back to me. It's, a, it's okay Stop using me and start trusting me. And we don't just do this with God, we do this with people. So remember, the human nature is to become inward on itself, and so we're using people around us, actually, for our own gain. We're doing the same thing out of selfishness the people around us we're using. Um, In other words you have friendships that exist for your benefit. And maybe the friendship is understanding of that. Like, we're friends because it benefits me and it benefits you so good we could be friends and we can get something out of this, like a business networking th- friendship. Let, let me just say it in a, in a very clear way for you. Let me just confess my sin. So here's my temptation. My temptation is to be nice to you so you'll keep coming to the growth, so then you're going to grow, you know, come to faith, you'll find God, or you'll con- continue to flourish and be transformed, and I can say, oh, look how successful I am. And I was, si- I was standing in the back one day uh, a few months ago while you guys were singing, and I was just looking, and I was like, man, I, just, I need these people too badly. And I saw like this messed up thing in my heart where I just needed you guys to be so wonderful so I could feel successful. How messed up is that? So I said, like, God, take this evil from me because this is not good. This is not right. I should, be not, I should not be acting this way. I should trust you, God, and I should just be faithful to the calling because here's what happens. Now I can't serve you because I need you. So in a sense, when I serve you to grow and be transformed, I do it for myself. That's messed up. So there you go. There's my sin, but but and well, I'll get to that later. It's not another sin. It's just something else I have to tell you. Um, here's what you've got to see. If you need something from someone because you're not getting something enough from God, then they will always be a servant to you, and you'll never be able to serve them, because they're there for you, not you for them. This whole idea of Christian love is to be selfless in giving. That is impossible until you realize God is enough. Otherwise, you are constantly in need. Sin is to say, it's up to me to get what I want, And I'll use whatever around me is there to get it, even God and others, versus God's going to give me what I need most, and I trust Him to do that. So, okay, so there's the sin. Now, what is the result of eating from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What's the result of not trusting in God's wisdom and God's love? Here's what it is it's the worst thing ever. Paradise is lost. We need to, first, here's what we need to understand first. Paradise is paradise because God is there. And God is caring for us and loving us and giving us everything that we need. That's why it is paradise, because God is there. And then look what happens. As soon as they eat of the fruit of the tree, they go into hiding. They're hiding from God and they're ashamed to be around each other. They're ashamed at their nakedness, so they're covering up. So their relationship with God is broken, their relationship with each other is broken, and Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames Satan. And not only that, verse 24, they're driven out of the garden and out of paradise. And the irony is that in Genesis 1, we saw that God made man in his image to be like God. Now that they tried to become like God in a different way, they lost it. They were already like God the way that they were meant to be, and then it became lost. They believed the lie of Satan, and the opposite happened. They became less human and less like God. Listen, listen, sin is to pursue something. Sin is to pursue something that you think is good, that takes away the, the best about you, the image of God. It's to pursue something that you think is good, but to pursue it like it becomes like a God to you, and then you lose everything about who you're made to be. All right, so now you're probably wondering, all right, well, why, why is it that God would have them leave Eden? Because now they would know good and evil. That doesn't make any sense. And why is it that God is not allowing them to eat from this tree of life so that they can live forever? What's going on? Why is God doing this? Here's why. Because God's being gracious to them. You say, what? God's being gracious to them? That doesn't make any sense. Yes, let me show you. If they had eaten from the tree of life While they were in the state that they were in, they would remain in that state forever. In other words, they're in a state of hiding from God. They're in a state of running from God. They're in a state of not trusting God. And so had they eaten of this fruit in the state that they were in, they would be forever hating God. Hating the only one who can give them the life that they long for, the life that they need. It's like they're biting the hand that's trying to feed them. And that's what we do to God all the time. He's trying to care for us, and we don't trust him, and so we bite his hand away. So what does God do? Out of grace, he removes them from paradise so that he might change their hearts there. So that he might change them clear their record, and bring them back in so that then, once they have been renewed, they could eat of the tree and live with him forever in paradise, not at odds with him, but as they were meant to be with him. And then this really crazy thing is there's these cherubim, which by the way, these are angels, but you know, you have this picture of angels like these little babies flapping around with wings. That is not what the cherubim are. These are angels you do not want to mess with. And they got wings and they're holding flaming swords. And what are they doing? They're guarding the way back to the tree of life. They're guarding the way back so that you don't eat of the tree of life and live forever in the state that you're in. Now, if you're like, where is that? I want to find that place right now. I don't don't know. There's not like some like passageway. I mean, there is. It's Jesus, but you know. All right, moving on. So God is keeping humanity out. Oh, where did I go? Where did I go here? This has never happened to me before. Oh, there, I found it, I found it. You know that feeling? (laughs) You know that, it's because I'm sick. You know that feeling when you say, man, life should not be this way. There's something wrong here. You know that feeling that I'm talking about? That's your longing to get back to paradise. Deep in your soul, because you are made in the image of God, there's like this distant memory within you that longs to get back to Eden. You remember Eden somehow because you're made in the image of God and you want to get back and you say something is wrong here and that is life screaming at you. Life is not meant to be this way because you were made to be in the garden with God. Your frustration with this world, your sadness with this world, your anger, your suffering, your loss... It's not proof that there isn't a God and there is no paradise. It is proof that there is a God and there is a paradise and you are not there. The lie for you today goes like this. See, God doesn't love us. If he did, life wouldn't be this way. The lie for you today is that God just created the world and left us here. The lie for you today is that we are some experiment. The lie for you today is that God is in paradise right now eating grapes and happy and and we're down here suffering and he doesn't care. God is keeping humanity out because to enter into eternal life without a changed heart is to be eternally at odds with God and that is hell. But God won't let your story end that way. He's determined to write a new story so that all these trials become worth it. And we see, we see this in the mind of God and how he responds to their sin. In our verses, we see hints of this promise that God will send his son, the hound of heaven, to come for them, to come for you. See, you're running from God. Even if you're a Christian, every sin is a running from God. And then you know that feeling after you sin and you're like, I know I should go back to God right now, but I feel just too ashamed to go back to God right now. That in and of itself is still a running and a hiding from God. Is not trusting that he's a gracious God do you know this word repentance, it gets a a bad rap. Repentance simply means turning towards God and living the way that he's calling you to live. Turning towards God and trusting him to live the way that he's calling you to live. And when you try to earn your way back to God, you're avoiding God. You're avoiding the hound of heaven. Every time you run from God, you hide from God, you try to earn your way back to God. You're avoiding the hound of heaven, who's meant to rescue you, who's meant to be gracious to you. The hound is pulling repentance out of you, in the most tender way that you need him to. Adam and Eve sin. Watch, watch, watch. This. Here's the story it goes. Adam and Eve sin, and. Before God says anything, God, what it, before they go into hiding, what's God doing? He's, look, he's pursuing them. They sin. God knows it. He begins to pursue them, and then they go into hiding as God is pursuing them. We're doing the same thing. And so God is pursuing you, and you're going into hiding. And so God is pursuing them, and they go into hiding. And then he says, where, where are you? Is, does God not know where they are? No, he knows where they are. He's pulling them back to him. And they said, oh no, well, we, we were ashamed and we're naked and so we're, we're hiding from you. And he says, well, who told you you were naked? And they say, nothing. And he says, did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat of? Then, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And God simply wanted them to turn back to him. So that he would have mercy on them, but they didn't do it. And we just know this because we look out through the rest of the Bible and we see the, God's pattern of how He works and how He draws us into repentance. And so He's doing that with them right here, but they're not returning back to Him. They're blaming. They're blaming someone else. They're blaming Satan. They're not returning back to their God. And God's doing that with you right now. He's calling you back the hound of heaven and he's calling he's, he's doing it so that you'll see what you've done but then you'll turn to him and you'll say God have mercy on me you know there's a um, there's a saying that says that the, the pastor should be the chief repenter, meaning the chief, like, returner, meaning, in, uh, in other words, I need to be the first person that sees my sin, and then I go running to God, and then as I get there, I get this warm embrace from God because he's gracious, and then I start telling all of you guys about it, and I say, God, guys, he's gracious, he's gracious, come, 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 And and you know what that means? So, you leaders of your community, gospel community leaders, you ought to be the first person that saying God I'm a sinner please have mercy on me and you go to God and then you tell everybody in your community look he's gracious come to him come to him husbands you ought to be the first one going back to God going to him saying he's gracious he's gracious everybody come on family come come to him parents you're going to God and you're saying to your kids come on he's gracious come to him he's going to forgive us we got to go back we got to go back but we don't do it we're running from him still The hound is pursuing you. Because God wants you back. See, the first sin of Adam and Eve is they don't trust God. Their second sin is they don't trust He's going to be gracious. They don't trust in His love and His care. Now they don't trust in His grace. So they're still they're running. And we do the same. I mean we're blaming other people for our sins. We're hiding from God. And he's pursuing you as the hound saying, I've made a way. It's okay. Come back to me. It's time to start trusting him. I know you're not. I know you're not. I know I'm not. I see it in my life. I see the areas of my life where I just want to keep God out of. And it's... It's destroying me, and it's destroying you as you do it too. Let's just all together, we just go back to God and embrace him and the hug that he's just wanting to give us, this big, warm hug that's just waiting for us. For the first time, start trusting him, or start trusting, start trusting him in areas of your life where you're not letting him in. If you've, seen, if you've seen the show Friends, and I know a lot of people hate Friends and a lot of people love Friends, whatever, just deal with it. If you've seen the show Friends, there's a character, Monica, and she's this clean freak. And then there's this door in her house that no one's been in, this closet door. And, and her, her boyfriend Chandler, I know, I know too much about Friends. And her boyfriend Chandler figures out a way to get the door off, and he sees inside this closet there's a huge mess. And see, this is the same thing with us and God. We have areas of our life where we, have, where we keep it clean, and we're like, God, come, come look, come look. Come look at what I'm doing, yes. Now give me the things I want, God. But we've got this other area of our life where we don't want God to see, and that's actually exposing what's truly in our hearts. We gotta let God into every area because he wants all of us. And we've got to trust, we've got to open up that closet door and let him see the worst of us. And if you don't do it, you don't believe he's going to be gracious to you. And, and part of it is you don't know You mean you don't know how bad you really are because you don't think God's going to be gracious. So what do you have to do? You've got to, you've got to mask yourself to yourself because you're scared to look at what's in your own closet. And the way to do that is to open it up and let God see and then he'll teach you how to see it and then he'll teach you how to deal with it because he's already dealt with it. Got to stop running from God. He wants you to come back. Why does he want you to come back? Why is he calling you? As the hound, why is he pursuing you? He's trying to get you to see something. What's he trying to get you to see? That there is a story of grace, and you can be in that story. Your story is a story of being tricked by Satan. That God is not to be trusted. And the hound has come to retell that story, the true story. He's come to give you the true story so that you can see that you can trust him. How does he show you that you can trust him? By the cross. By the cross. See, what happens on the cross is the hound climbs the tree of death so you can now have the tree of life. The king loses paradise so that you can have it. God says to Adam, obey me and you will live. God says to Jesus, obey me and you will die so that they might live. And he does it so he could bring you back despite everything so when you're wondering does God love me look at the cross look at the tree the tree of death that he climbed for you when you're suffering and you're like where is God does he even care about what is happening look at the cross look at the hound who climbed upon the tree of death so that you could have life When your heart is broken and you don't think God cares, look at the tree of death that God climbed so he could have you back. So you have now every right, because all of your sins have been dealt with, you have every right to enter back into paradise. and He's given you a new heart and now you're just waiting for the day. And the gates open up and you enter into paradise and you're with God of grace forever. And everything is as it's meant to be. you got to go to him. God, we pray now that you would take away all the reasons right now why we're not going to you. All the reasons why we're running from you, God. We pray that you'd take them from us. God, we pray that as we're hearing the lie whispered into our mind and into our heart, that you aren't to be trusted that we're better kings than you are. God, I pray that you would take that out and that you would put right in front of our face the beauty of the cross where you showed us how much you love us and that you are worth trusting and that if you are eternally wise and eternally loving, we'd rather our lives be in your care than ours. So God, help us to believe that to be true. God, steal us away from ourselves. Steal us away from the part of us that wants to run from you so we could come back to you and be with you forever as we're meant to be. In Jesus' name, amen.